As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer coming back at you for another week. We've reached the end of the ACC football season, a premature end uh, if you're a Clemson fan, uh, the way things ended in that game. Uh, Not a great postseason for the ACC, finishing 0-6 in bowl games, 0-2 in the college football playoff. Clemson loses to Ohio State. Notre Dame loses to Alabama. Uh, other, ga- other games out there, UNC losing to Texas A&M. De'Ara King tore his ACL for Miami. Uh, all in all, not a great postseason for the ACC. We're going to talk about all of that in this week's podcast, sort of close out the 2020 season here as we start 2021. But we're also going to turn towards basketball. This is an ACC podcast and you have to talk about basketball in the ACC because it's very, very important here. Uh, I am only so knowledgeable on ACC basketball. It has been a long time since I've covered it uh, full time. So we're going to bring in a co-host for the duration of the basketball season, Brendan Marks, who covers North Carolina and Duke for us, uh, does a great job. Has been on the podcast before. We had him on around Thanksgiving to talk about UNC football and a little bit of basketball then. He's going to be joining us throughout the the, the winter here, uh, giving us all of this ACC basketball knowledge. Let's bring him in right now. Brendan, thanks for coming back on the pod. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I, I'm uh, I'm glad that I didn't bomb quite as badly as the ACC did in bowl games this year. <laughs> it was pretty bad, wasn't it? Uh, the biggest one. Let's start with the biggest one. Uh, Clemson. That's the the team that I think a lot of us, myself included, expected to be playing in the national championship game. And it didn't. Uh, it really struggled in this game against Ohio State, losing forty nine to twenty eight. I forty nine to twenty eight. I for one was very surprised by the outcome. I did not expect to see the number eleven team in the country play this well in the Buckeyes. Did you? Did you expect? That? <laughs> 
I, uh, you know, I think I, I really am so interested in, in the number 11 thing. You know, I, I would love to know specifically how many different locations Ohio State players had that plastered around the locker room. But uh, no, I, I don't think that anyone was really expecting that sort of performance from Clemson. And, you know, to me, the thing that stood out the most was you, you think about a guy like Brett Venables, he, he doesn't get confused. You know, he, he doesn't have these sorts of performances. And the way that Justin Fields, he's battered. And the way that he was able to make plays, explosive plays, even in that condition, um, what was just really shocking to me. And, and listen, I understand that uh, Clemson was a little undermanned on the defensive side of the ball. But at the same point, I, I was just really surprised at how almost lost the Tigers seemed at times. And, and that's something that I haven't seen this season. Um, it, it was just something that I don't think anyone could have seen coming. I didn't think anybody saw it coming either, that, that Clemson uh, defense, the way they played. Uh, Ohio State, 639 yards. Justin Fields, 385 passing, six touchdowns. This comes after he takes that hit on his rib cage from James Skalski going low uh, with the helmet, gets ejected for targeting. Uh, I think it was Joe Giglio who, who wrote that the targeting penalties in Clemson, Ohio State are Shakespearean. Like they're like the yes. biggest, <laughs> the biggest uh, targeting penalties possible. They they shift games to the biggest players on both sides of the ball. Uh, that was amazing. Like I saw that play and I'm like, Fields is broken in half. He's not going to be able to continue this. And then whatever horse tranquilizers they gave him or whatever on the sideline of the locker room. Uh, he came out and he was just on fire and he could not miss. I thought the interesting thing with Ohio state, and I saw some people mention this afterwards, uh, they were breaking the huddle really quick. They were doing sort of that sugar huddle thing, whatever it's called, where they're close to the line, they sprint to the line. Clemson's, I mean, there, there were multiple plays they show from the overhead angle where Clemson is still just guys scattered and not lined up uh, at the snap. And that's a big thing that Brent Venables does is he sees they wait to the very last second to call the play. They see what the offense is lined up with with, and then they adjust accordingly. And they just could not do that. I saw that a little bit in the game that I covered against Clemson, Virginia Tech, uh, you know, milked the clock as long as possible, broke the line very late, got there and ran it. And they did OK for a while until they started fumbling snaps before the plays even started. <laughs> Things were going OK in that game. And then it turned into a route. But. Uh, does it feel like Ohio State has exposed something about this, uh, you know, mythic Brent Venables defense and, and how well they play? Is, is it a blueprint on how to beat that group or is this a one time thing? I, I don't know that it's either necessarily. I mean, I think you look and, and that is certainly something, you know, you mentioned you saw it against Virginia Tech. Obviously, that is something that teams have now identified that they can exploit. And, and obviously, um, for someone as smart as Venables, any advantage that you can get in, in terms of time, pacing, you know, getting him out of his rhythm in any way, that's a huge win offensively. Um, but at the same time, you know, Clemson is also, you mentioned, you know, Skalski, the ejecting call. It, it's huge. It's massive. Um, I don't think that anyone foresaw the Sean Wade sort of uh, trajectory the way that it happened last season. And, and I certainly don't think anybody expected Justin Fields after he basically got snapped in half uh, to get right back up. He just sort of scraped himself off and came back looking like Superman. So I, I give credit to Ohio State. I, I think that Ohio State dominated on, on both sides of the line. I think in the trenches, they certainly won the battle. Um, but at the same time, I, I try to keep the context that 
this is a Clemson team that all of a sudden was playing without one of its best players has been battling sort of roster flux and incontinuity all season. Um, and I just think overall that that high level talent wasn't quite there. I, I think it's going to be a very different scenario in two or three years when a guy like Breesey and Miles Murphy have a few more games under their belt. They've got a little bit more strength and, and they're able to sort of um, show off the full range of their potential. Obviously they were great this year, but there's much better things on the horizon for them too. Yeah, certainly a disappointing way for Trevor Lawrence's career to end. Uh, he threw for 400 yards, two touchdowns in that game. A lot of that was stats that were uh, coming at the end. Also ran for a touchdown early on. It's not like he played bad, but when your defense just can't stop anybody, there's nothing you can do. Uh, did Dabo Sweeney get out coached in that game? I mean, you saw in the first half a couple times, he, he had like a fourth and two and a fourth and three, and they punted it. I, I can't exactly remember where they were on the field, but it was close to midfield, if not in plus territory. And it almost felt like he did not understand the tenor of the game and what was going to be required to, to win that particular game. And, you know, you can forgive him for that. His defense has been outstanding. I don't think he ever thought, oh, my defense is going to give up 49 points in this game. But uh, does it feel like Dabo was maybe a little slow to adjust to what that game required? I certainly think so. And, you know, you mentioned that. I forget if it was a fourth and two or a fourth and three call. But, you know, watching that at home, you're thinking, okay, Okay, well, well, clearly, as an outsider, you can see where this game's going. You can see the trajectory, you know, and you can see that uh, you're going to have to score some points in this game. And, and I just felt like that was so conservative and, and almost undabo like for him to punt in that situation. Um, you know, I, I think the, the bigger point is throughout this season, Clemson, whether it was Trevor Lawrence or, or when he was momentarily sidelined because of COVID, when it was DJ, I, I think that obviously the passing game is their strength this year. And, and really, while we celebrate those passers, the, the other element of that that we look at is there was a reason why. And it was because Clemson's offensive line wasn't quite the caliber that it needed to be. Um, that's why Travis Etienne didn't have, you know, the, the same sort of ACC player of the year caliber season that he's had the past two seasons. Um, so I think it, it's important to also recognize that, yes, I think Dabo is a little slow on the jaw. I think there were things he could have picked up on quicker. I think there were some adjustments that could have been made. At the same time, you know, I think this was Clemson this year. I don't think that this was a Clemson team that was as good as some of the Clemson teams we've seen in the past, even with a generational guy like Trevor Lawrence in there at quarterback. Um, and as a result, you know, it, once things started to get ugly, they sort of got out of hand quickly, as you mentioned. That those, those stats from Trevor, they're gaudy, but a lot of them came after people had already turned off the TV and gone to bed. So um, I feel bad for Trevor. I think that, you know, for someone of his caliber to, to sort of go out the way that he did, uh, obviously, the Heisman didn't go in his favor either. Um, you, you hate to see that, but again, at the same time, he's going to go down as an absolute legend in the ACC at Clemson, and um, I'm really interested to see what Clemson does next without him. For the record, I voted uh, Lawrence as number one on my Heisman ballot. Uh, I can I can now say that without penalty from the Heisman Trust that hunts you down if you, you say that ahead of time. Uh, I'd be... I if I can interrupt, what, how come? I'd be interested to know. Well, you it, have to explain your reasoning. It came <laughs> down to him and Devontae Smith. And I, admittedly, if the vote had taken place after the semis, I probably would have gone with Smith the way he played in that game. I, Lawrence did not have the stats necessarily that Mac Jones and, and Kyle Trask did. He also didn't play in like any fourth quarters in any of these games. I'm not saying that those other guys did all the time, but I think that he played in almost none of the fourth quarters. You look at some of his stats there. Uh, he missed the two games and, and Clemson just didn't look the same. And then they comes back and they look like the Death Star Clemson again. I mean, they, they were a juggernaut when he was around. 
And I think there's just something about him leading that team. He's a better runner than people give him credit for. He's a, he's a very good runner. I mean, we don't have to qualify that or anything like that. He is. He is. Uh, it, it just the way that he carried that team. And I think, you know, this year there's an extra something there that I say, you know, does the college football season happen? if somebody like Trevor Lawrence doesn't speak up in the preseason about, Hey, I want to play and you get a lot of people in the momentum of this season going. So I, I added that as a factor as well. I, I, I Devonte Smith, I have no problem with him winning it. And I, you know, honestly I could have voted for him too. I would have been very uh, proud of that vote and, and him winning it. Uh, there is something about Alabama where it's like, Everybody on that offense is a superstar. I almost couldn't pick among all those Alabama guys. And, and even like Devontae Smith, it's like he's outstanding at receiver. Like Jalen Waddle was outstanding at receiver when he was around too. So maybe that factored into it a little bit. Uh, but I went with Lawrence. Uh, first time in a couple years, I think, that I had picked differently what the actual winner of the award was. But uh, I, I thought Trevor deserved it. Uh, it's interesting how him leaving puts Clemson in an interesting spot, you know, a little bit of a transition. I, I, I don't want to see people go out there and write the story they did. Like when, when Alabama lost to Ole Miss or something a couple years ago and people were like the dynasty is over, it's over. Nick Saban can't adjust to these modern times and these high. Love those rational takes. <laughs> <laughs> those freezing cold takes that people bring up all the time. I don't want to see anybody writing. It's over for dad. Like he's lost to LSU in blowout fashion. He lost to uh, Ohio state in blowout fashion. It's like, no, I mean, this, team this program is still good you mentioned the offensive line like shortly after they lose this game they get a commitment from Tristan Lee uh, out of Virginia the number one tackle in the country so I think they're gonna be fine uh, going forward you know maybe you get to these levels in these playoffs it's like I mean all these teams are great there's like three or four teams are really great and one year it might be their year like it was a couple years with Clemson the next year it might be some other team so I think Clemson's gonna be fine in the future don't you of course they are. Of course they are. I mean, and, and, you know, we think about someone like ETN leaving too, uh, you know, they just signed Will Shipley, you know, the five-star out of right outside of Charlotte. So, you know, the talent's going to keep coming in. I don't think that's the problem. It's, it's, uh, it's just, I, I think the interesting thing to me is that there's a, a massive leadership void leaving there. That, that would be the only thing that I'm, that's probably the most interesting thing to me is like, you had a guy like ETN, a guy like Lawrence, like those are, those are the guys that's very clear. I think that DJ absolutely can be one of those. Um, I think they've got plenty of other guys who are capable of doing that, but uh, yeah, anybody who's legitimately worried about Clemson not contending for the immediate future hasn't seen uh, some of the other ACC teams of late, especially during bowl season. <laughs> well, let's turn to the other semifinal game really quickly. Notre Dame uh, losing 31 to 14 to Alabama, a game that wasn't even that close. I mean, I know they're like, Oh, they covered, they did better. It's like the game was a blowout in the second quarter. Uh are we counting this for the ACC? Do like Notre Dame status? We're like, uh, you know, you're out now. We're we're not going to count this. That was a regular season thing, right? This whole uh, whole marriage of convenience. Absolutely. If Notre Dame wants to uh, be on its own, then Notre Dame can absolutely hold that L on its own just as well. So I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, it, I think I'll say this. I think it was great that Notre Dame came this year. I think that it helped Notre Dame and it helped the ACC. It was a mutually beneficial relationship. But um, as Pete Sampson will, will gladly tell you, I think uh, the relationship as it was previously is is what's going to endure for a little bit longer. But um, for at least one year in this crazy COVID year, yeah, sure, why not? But that. That particular college football playoff loss, um, 
that's that's all on Notre Dame. That's not an ACC one. Yeah, I think by the end, everybody's like, okay, maybe go back and be independent again. Like, right. It's good for the one year like this. I Personally, I like the independence for Notre Dame. I like that it's weird. I like that it's strange. I like that people hate it. Like people hate this, like, oh, you're you you're so special. You have your own rules for stuff like this, even though they make less money from TV and it's actually a harder path to the playoff because they don't have that. You know, I I, you right. know, I guess they go to a conference, they lose the conference title game and still get in. Uh, maybe it's not uh, an argument that, that helps them there. But uh, yeah, I liked it for the year. I'm, I'm glad that it's over with, though. I want them to be independent and weird and then ACC fans can continue to hate Notre Dame all they want while collecting the big paychecks they get when Notre Dame comes down and sells out their stadium. Exactly. Uh, Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. North Carolina uh, lose its Texas A&M 41 to 27 in the Orange Bowl. Uh, that was an interesting game, I thought. I watched a lot of that game. Uh, I'm old, so I fall asleep all the time late in games. This time I fell asleep in the first half, so I woke up in the second half and I saw the whole thing. So that's my new strategy going forward for these late games. Uh, the Tar Heels were missing so many guys in this game. Michael Carter, Javante Williams, Chaz Surratt. Diami Brown were all out of this game and it was tied with 10 minutes left uh you know Josh Downs comes in he looks like an incredible player at receiver uh you know Eugene Asante stepped in uh for Chaz Surratt at, at linebacker uh what did you make of this North Carolina performance I know they came up short uh but they held their own with a pretty good Texas A&M team for a while yeah, you know, I think in the context of the season, it's it was more important for North Carolina to make it to this point than to actually win this game. Um, because obviously, as you mentioned, you're playing without four of your five best players. And the coaching staff loves Eugene Asante. They, they said all summer that he was someone who they wanted to get more opportunities for. And obviously, Chaz played so well that didn't really materialize. Um, Josh Downs, you know, he, he was sort of hyped as the next big thing at receiver for UNC. And obviously, if, if this was any indication, he's going to sort of fill that role that De'Ami Brown filled uh, next season. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's a sign of – it's a great temperature check. It's a great barometer for UNC because, yes, you lost the game. But at the same time, down four of your five best players with a lot of guys who are going to see a lot more minutes next year, Asante, Downs, Tony Grimes, you know, the five-star corner who, who looks like he's primed to become one of the ACC's best defensive backs. Who should be a senior um, in high school right now. He reclassified. Correct. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing that he's like, you know, he started in the Orange Bowl, correct? He did. Yeah. He started the last, he started the last half of the season, you know, and for him to come in, you know, he came in late too. It was a late reclass. Um, he didn't actually join until, you know, late July, early August, if, I, if memory serves. And, and he gained 20 pounds in the course of the season and went from not even being on special teams to starting the orange bowl. So when you look at, okay, the loss, yes, a loss is a loss, but at the same time, what you were cap- able to accomplish and sort of set the table for next season I think it was much more important for those guys just to get the experience, to be that competitive, to play that well, um, going into next season when they're obviously going to be asked to do more. And and the, the thing for North Carolina now is, can we sustain? 
because Mac Brown didn't come back to make one orange bowl, which, you know, North Carolina realistically only made because of some, some fluky tie-ins. Um, he's trying to build this longevity wise. He wants to build something where you're talking about consistently being in New York six bowls. And, and the idea of North Carolina as a football school, making it to the college football playoff may seem absurd everywhere outside of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, but, but that's very much what Mac Brown intends to do. And his recruiting classes are starting to back that up. And, and I think the way that this team played against Texas A&M, even in defeat, um, it's a really strong sign for, for this longevity actually being real and, and not just being something that Mac Brown thinks it is. The interesting thing to me with UNC is we talk about Mac Brown came in, now he's recruiting so great and all these great classes. A lot of these guys we're talking about, with the exception of, of Howell and, and some other guys like Tony Grimes, I mean, they... Pres- they were there before Mac Brown got there. So it's like the, all this recruiting bump and all these great classes he's getting haven't even really made the impact yet that people I think are attributing to the success that the Tar Heels have had. And Sam Howell's obviously the exception there. He comes in, starts right away. Uh, if you have a quarterback like that, it really transforms a program and what can it, it can do. I'm curious what you think the outlook for this team is in 2021. Uh, th- I mean, this has to be the coastal favorite going in i would imagine is sam howell uh if not the heisman front runner one of the top contenders next year i mean he's getting the odds um and and i've had a lot of my former college peers who've been throwing a lot of money (laughs) for the for the sake of their wallets i hope so but um i think i think Howell is a heisman favorite and i actually think that the the departures that unc has to deal with play into that you know you're losing two all-american caliber backs it is unrealistic to expect to replicate that. I mean, you're not going to find – they're not on the roster now. They're not coming in as freshmen. You're going to have to go and, and look in the portal and try and get someone who can come in. But this offense is going to have to change again. You know, Sam Howell's first year, it was a, a deep passing offense. You know, they really thrived on some of those, you know, 30, 40-yard bombs down the field. And, and they got back to that later this season, but – only after they had really established these two running backs as, as sort of the focal point. And it was, um, you know, using those running backs to set up the play action deep pass. It's going to have to change again next year. And I think wherever UNC does ultimately go at running back, you're looking for a guy who complements Sam Howell's skills because he alone, I think, does make UNC the coastal favorite. Um, I will say, though, that I think that UNC's defense is, is going to be, much as it was this year, it's going to be the difference between if this team actually does that or if it has another sort of disappointing year. Um, and it's crazy to think that an Orange Bowl loss is a disappointing season for, for UNC fans, but that's sort of the expectations right now with Sam, with Sam Howell. So the, the defense is going to have to not win games, but not lose them. And you saw that at times this year, at times you didn't. Against Notre Dame, the, the defense sort of, Fell flat, couldn't do anything. Um, taking that next step is, is going to be really important. But yeah, right now, it's hard to think that anybody but UNC has a better chance of taking the Coastal next season. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. Daz Newsom, another one that declared uh, early for the NFL, uh, just saw that the other day. You probably put them at the top of the Coastal, especially for one other reason now, Derek King's injury at Miami. Uh, for those that didn't see that, uh, the quarterback, my uh, Derek King for the Hurricanes, uh, towards ACL against Oklahoma State in the Cheez-It Bowl. Uh, it was on a play. I mean, it, it was a non-contact play. I mean, it was, he was making a cut, and he kind of crumbled to the ground. Uh, it was the same knee that he tore his meniscus in uh, in 2018 when he was at Houston. Uh, this stinks. I mean, this is just horrible news uh, to see for a player. I mean, this is a guy who he'd be, 
he announced before the bowl game that he's coming back for a sixth year. Uh, he wanted to come back and, and you know do big things uh, in his sixth year. Uh, I know Miami says in the thing uh, when he has the surgery that he'll be ready for the start of 2021 camp. Uh, that seems a bit optimistic to me. I'm, consider me skeptical of that. I know ACL injuries aren't like they are were in the mid-90s or early 90s or something like that. The timetables are a little bit shorter, but everybody who has an ACL injury that you know I've covered or talked to afterwards say they just don't feel right. They don't feel comfortable uh, until maybe like a year afterwards or something like that. And for a position like King's, um, where mobility and elusiveness is so critical to his game. I'm curious how that's going to affect him. You, you, what are your thoughts on, on this whole thing? I mean, it's just, it's a bad situation all around. You never want to see something like this. It is. Yeah, it's terrible. And, you know, I, I think it's, is it a little bit different versus had he said he was going to the draft? Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, you just hate to see it for a guy like this. He was so fun to watch all season. Um, you know, really seem to, to sort of bring out the best of himself at Miami. And, you know, you, you bring up a good point, Andy, that it takes time for these ACL injuries. I, I would also add every single one is different. You know, you can say that right. you're going to be back before the start of the season. It doesn't mean that's going to happen. You know, I'm, I, you know I, the thing that comes to mind most readily is something that UNC basketball is actually dealing with right now. They had a guy named Anthony Harris who tore his ACL late December last year. They said they were optimistic that he would be good to go by, you know, sort of the start of the season. Um, he's still not practicing in full. And it's now been over a full year since he had the injury. So especially given the way that King's game, like you mentioned, is so predicated on movement, elusiveness, being able to extend plays, um, it really stinks. And I think, again, when you're looking at the greater context of the Coastal, that uncertainty in and of itself, I, I think, sort of drops Miami down a peg or two. Not saying you know that I don't wish he comes back. I hope he comes back. I hope he's amazing. I hope the recovery goes well. Um, but those are so fickle. And again, considering it's a knee that he's already had an injury in, um, you just have to be extra concerned. And, and I think because of that, again, I, I just go back. UNC right now, it, it makes all the sense in the world to pick them as the coastal favorite. This is why you can't fault any player for opting out of a bowl game especially these guys that are going to the draft where you know potentially millions at stake in this stuff like I don't want to hear anybody ever like oh you're quitting on the team before this thing is like enough like these guys are not paid in college just let them go and do what they want to do and to avoid a situation exactly like this I mean this is quarterback this is not like running back where you think something like this might happen like you're in a pile like this I mean he was just running in the open field and, and all of a sudden his knee kind of gave on him uh I, I feel like this is why we need to be a little bit easier on these you know opt-outs and guys that skip bowl games the, the argument the argument that guys who quit on bowl games are selfish or quitting on their team to me has always been one of the worst arguments that sports fans make because if after all that a guy like Derek King has given your team or you know anybody else who chooses to do so you know at UNC you look at Javante Williams Michael Carter you know chat if you can't be happy for those guys for how much they've helped your program if you can't respect the fact that you know, there are literally millions and millions of dollars on the line. What are we doing here? So, I mean, let these guys go get paid. You know, I, I, again, I mean, this is a bigger issue, but I just think it comes back to not treating these, these players like people. We see them as commodities for entertainment. They're not, 
And, and this really stinks for Derek King. It stinks for anybody who has this sort of endeavor. And, and that's why when you can protect yourself, you do. I, that, the argument that that is selfish or uh, self-serving or anything of the sort, it, it's always been an argument that really sort of peeves me. Well, it was part of a, a rotten uh, bowl experience for the ACC here. 0-6 in bowl games this year. The ones we mentioned previously, Wake Forest uh, lost to Wisconsin 42-28 to uh, in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl where the, the Badgers quarterback was dancing with the trophy afterwards and dropped it and shattered it <laughs> and, and, and actually improved it by t- duct-taping a bottle of mayonnaise to the top of the trophy. Um, I think that is actually used to repel Andy Staples wherever he is, <laughs> if he's anywhere near you. Uh, NC State lost in the Gator Bowl 23-21 to to Kentucky. Uh, what do we make of this 0-6 record? I say, like, people can make a big deal of this, and it's not great. I'm not going to sit here and say, like, defend it or something like that. At the same time, is it that big of a deal? I don't think so. I, and I'd be interested to know what you think. But to me, in this season, you know, getting to the Bulls at all, to me, is an accomplishment. And, and when you consider all of the opt-outs, when you consider all of the guys who missed practice time, who missed – workouts who missed films that, you know, when you consider how nebulous and, and sort of weird this whole season was the fact that the ACC got six teams to agree to go and play in bowls, I think is an accomplishment in of itself. Anybody who tries to read too much into this, like it's placing too much emphasis on bowls to me, you know, and, and it's great that these guys get to go and have these opportunities, but at the same time, uh, you already did what you were supposed to do. You made it through the season in the middle of a pandemic like that, that for itself should be cause for, applause and it's not like this is going to continue to happen like as, as we've mentioned you know Clemson got caught on a bad day uh, North Carolina's without so many of its best players you know NC State is still playing with its backup quarterbacks uh, you know and on and on down the list there, there's reasons for all of it um, it's hilarious it's very fitting for the ACC I, I'd be interested to know if you think there's anything more to it though I don't I mean the ACC was underdogs in five of these six games going into it anyway so this is sort of the result that everybody expected outside of Clemson which was the you know the shocker I think for a lot of people Uh, I think some of it has to do with the ACC getting two teams in the playoff Uh, you do that I mean you look at that compared to the big 12 no teams in the playoffs so they send their champion to just a regular New Year's six game whereas the ACC is sending its third best team to a New Year's six game and so so that affects everything down the line. So say no, say no to Dane's playing in the Orange Bowl instead, and then North Carolina's playing in the Cheez It Bowl, and Miami, and like you know, those are better matchups than for the ACC. So I think that has a little bit to do with it. Um, I, I still think the you know it wasn't a great year for the ACC just in general, uh, the way that the teams played outside of Clemson and Notre Dame, obviously. But uh, you know, there's ground that they need to make up. Uh, against conferences like the SEC, which are consistently great, you know, with the talent that they have there. I don't think top to bottom the SEC was great this year, but obviously at the very top, uh, a very good team. They showed that in the bowl season. But, uh, yeah, in general, I, I think this is going to be a lot of chest thumping by teams out there that talk, that, oh, they, the ACC is terrible and our Big 12 is awesome this year. Uh, it could just as easily reverse next year. Uh, not a great start into the season, but I, I think it's not that big of a deal too. Let's turn to basketball. Let's, let's, let's catch up on basketball. Uh, I really have not watched a lot of basketball. I've, I've tuned in. I was going to watch some of that Virginia Gonzaga game. And then it was like a 30 point game. And I'm like, well, what's the point? What right. am I going to watch this thing for? 
Uh, you know, I think I look at the ACC standings right now, and I think it's exactly how we expected it. The two highest ranked teams are Clemson and Virginia Tech. <laughs> and uh, Virginia Tech is one of two unbeaten teams at the top of the conference. We're, we're recording this on a Wednesday. They play Louisville tonight, a team that has beaten them 16 straight times. So that might change by the time this happened. But uh, catch us up on the ACC basketball season. What, what has been going on here? The, the ACC basketball season is a mess, Andy. And, and you mentioned that 30-point blowout that Virginia suffered to Gonzaga. There's going to be more of those. Here's the thing. Last season, there was so much talk about the ACC being quote-unquote down. And, but, but at the same time, you had a team like Florida State that looked like it was potentially in line to get a one-seed in the tournament. Duke potentially could have gotten a two-seed. Um, you, know, you had other really, really strong contenders. You look at Louisville was really good last year. And then – at the same time, there wasn't that dominant team that we're used to. You know, Duke, for the first time in basically a decade, didn't have a lottery pick. Neither Duke nor North Carolina had a lottery pick. North Carolina was the worst team in the conference, and they, they barely look better this year. So the elite top-end talent that the ACC has been known for in recent years, it's scattering. It's not... It's not uh, congregating in, in these select schools, and that's why you see a team like Clemson, a team like Virginia Tech that are you know, sort of excelling when maybe we wouldn't have expected them to. I think that's also a huge credit to Brad Brown Al at Clemson. I think, um, you know, they're like the number two defensive team in the country per Ken Palm. Their efficiency is insane. And obviously they showed that yesterday against NC State. Um, you know, Virginia Tech plays a very modern style of offense. And you compare that, you know, I know the other game last night, UNC Miami, um, the offense was offensive. It, it was anything but modern. The only thing modern was how many misses there were. So, the ACC as a whole, I think, is, is sort of in a transition state. We're, we're not seeing the sort of high-caliber teams, the high-caliber players that we used to. Um, the, the lottery picks, you know, a guy like Jalen Johnson at Duke, he's been out for several weeks with a foot injury. Scotty Barnes has been fine at Florida State, but certainly not the, the otherworldly transcendent talent he was expected to be. Um, just like in football, the ACC is still sort of figuring things out right now. I, I don't think that this means that it's a bad league, but certainly there's still a long way to go before the tournament um, if this team wants to be sort of considered in the same realm as the Big 12 or the Big 10, which so far this year have looked miles and miles better than the ACC has. Yeah, you mentioned how weird this year is. Duke has not played since December 16th. <laughs> uh, <yeah>, choosing <laughs> not to for the end of the, the uh, non-conference schedule and then some COVID issues, have, I, th I think, have prevented them here uh, from getting the, the, the rest going. It, it sounds like they're going to play tonight against Boston College. That'll be interesting to, to just get this back after, you know, not quite a month break, but uh, it's like they took Christmas break off and they're back for the season. Exactly. exactly. And, and it's different than in football where, you know, it is so much more physically demanding in football. But that rest is so appreciated, you know, giving guys two or three weeks off. It really does do wonders. But in basketball, a lot of these guys, especially for Duke, it's not just that they haven't played since the middle of December, but they only played five games before then. So since the middle of November, or the end of November, when the season started, they've, they've only played five times and they've had so many cancellations. And um, just talking to, to players within the program, talking to coaches there, it's hard. You get ready for a game. You, you plan out a whole game plan. You go through specific practice sets. You're ready to go doesn't happen. In one case, Duke even traveled to Florida State, was in Tallahassee, ready to play the next day, 
And the news comes down the night that they get there that, sorry, get back on the plane and turn around again. That's so, just a traditional Tallahassee greeting at this point. <laughs> apparently, apparently so. <laughs> but I, I think that that is such a, a weird dilemma and sort of magnified on top of that is the fact that, again, this is not a one seed, two seed Duke team. This is a Duke team that is without its best physical talent, that is still very much figuring things out, that only brought back four players from last season. Um, and not having this experience, I, I think it's really crushing, and it could be you know, sort of critical in where Duke ends up in the ACC long term. What is up with UNC? I saw some <laughs> of that game last night. They seemed like they were fortunate to pull that one out against Miami, a Miami team that you know right now is 0-4 in the ACC and in last place in the ACC. I thought this was supposed to be the season they turn it around. The Tar Heels were going to be a lot better, and they look kind of like it's more of the same. Yeah, well, Andy, first of all, I'm sorry that you had to watch any of that game because had I had I not been required to watch it, I certainly would have turned it off. There the was nothing minutes. else on. There was no football on. There weren't even like good movies on that I could get. And for some reason, I'm like you know, you have the Netflix library. I'm like, I'm too lazy to go look for something. If it's not on, I'm not going to watch it. So I'm like, all right, I'll watch some basketball. So I watched some basketball. I hear you. That, if you could call it that. I mean, here's the thing about UNC. Last year, obviously, was a disaster of epic proportions. I mean, the, the worst season, and I'm saying that without hyperbole, of Roy Williams' career. And it, it wasn't close. You know, a losing season, um, just getting absolutely embarrassed in the ACC tournament. So many, so many losses by a basket, two baskets, three baskets. And, um, you know, as, as UNC's players said last night after the Miami game, Miami had a sort of a full court heave that would have won the game. L last year, the Hurricanes probably make that shot. <laughs> it probably goes in. Oh. I think the biggest problem that UNC has right now is it, it doesn't have an offensive identity. Um, Cole Anthony left in the offseason for the NBA, goes to the uh, Orlando Magic in the first round of the draft. He's sort of the latest in, in Roy Williams' line of point guards. And in comes Caleb Love, who's a consensus five-star recruit. Uh, he's someone who is projected widely to be a lottery pick, a one-and-done player. And as of our talking right now, Andy, he has as many turnovers as he does make shots, um, which you don't need to be a basketball expert to know that that is very bad. Um, without him understanding what his role needs to be without him consistently feeding UNC's bigs because UNC does have an advantage. It has uh, three former five-star big men. And then the fourth guy in that rotation is Garrison Brooks. who was the ACC player of the year, preseason player of the year, excuse me. Um, Caleb Love does not seem to understand that he needs to get the ball to those guys. He's not capable of getting his own shot off right now. He's a turnover waiting to happen. And, and I don't mean to harp on him specifically, but he's just very, emblematic of UNC's overall struggles and, and lack of any sort of rhythm offensively. It's, it's really hard to watch and I can't imagine how frustrating it must be for Roy Williams. Let's talk about the two teams that I think have kind of surprised. I mean, the, the, the two highest ranked teams in the ACC right now. And like, it's, it's amazing to me that the ACC doesn't have anybody ranked higher than 19th, but they're tied for 19th Virginia tech and Clemson. Uh, even though Virginia tech has beaten Clemson, you think that would be, enough to, to put the, something it's not right. like that's Virginia Tech's only win Virginia Tech beat Villanova earlier this year uh, right. that's a better win than uh, you know probably anybody has on the schedule considering that the two teams ahead of Villanova in the rankings are undefeated so uh, what do you make of this Hokies team I, I think a couple years ago when Mike Young got hired some people go 
who is this guy? I mean, they were, they were, they, a lot of Virginia Tech fans wanted the next Buzz Williams. They wanted the guy that was like going to win the press conference, going to be amazing. And, you know, this, the you know, pull a big hire from a power conference where that's kind of rare that something like that happened. I think Buzz was using Virginia Tech to get to his next stop, and Virginia Tech was using Buzz to get its program back on, on its feet. And it was a nice little, you know, marriage of convenience there and probably right. <laughs> probably had run its course by the time this thing ended here but they bring in mike young from wofford and people are like who's this guy it's like oh that guy can coach a little he was the national coach of the year you know wofford was 18 and 0 in the southern conference in his last year there and they gave kentucky a heck of a tournament game there uh mike young can coach now uh are, are people just now realizing this i, I realize this early and i won't get too carried away with a 2-0 and start but he, he's pretty good coach Oh, Mike Young's a great coach. And and I think the biggest question about him when he was hired wasn't whether his style or his, you know, X's and O's coaching strategy would translate because, you know, as you mentioned at Wofford, at Wofford, he's, he was legitimately competing with the likes of Kentucky. And obviously Kentucky's not what it uh, traditionally has been, but he certainly has all of the X's and O's knowledge and basketball IQ to, to transform a program. The biggest question about him was, was he going to be able to get the guys in there that he needed to actually help him play the way he wanted to play? And, and so far, this super small ball modern offense where they space the floor, they don't really have traditional bigs that they can feed it into the post. Um, it's, it's probably the most inventive offense that the ACC has to show off right now, and, and it's working. Um, and I think that guys really enjoy playing for him too, not just because he's a great guy, but also because – it's a fun system. You know, you get to space the floor, you get to run, you get to shoot threes, you know, it's very free flowing. And um, especially, you know, he's not buzz. He's nowhere near buzz, but he, I think he fits very well for what a team like Virginia tech, which um, you know, has its deficiencies is always going to be relatively limited in terms of who it comes. He has played to the strengths of that recruiting base. Um, and, and, you know, they're a really fun team to watch. I, I'm not saying that this is a team that's going to run away with the ACC. I think, you know, against a team like North Carolina that has all of these bigs or, or other teams, you know, an NC State even, a Clemson, they're going to struggle a little bit more. But at the same time, uh, what, what he's doing right now in Blacksburg is working, and I don't think it's going to stop working anytime soon. You're right that he's not Buzz. He's a lot uh, more approachable than buzz was buzz was sort of in that's a very kind way to put it (laughs) sort of in buzz's own world and it was just all about the Tao of buzz and everything about him and mike young is just like this let's go have a beer man like after the game like he looks like gill from the simpsons like he's just uh like he's just a a very down-to-earth guy he eats popcorn before every game like that uh you know kevin aluma aluma coming in there from wofford i think people are like oh this wofford transfer he's their best player this year i mean he's been he's been amazing for the Hokies. so I, i think that's a team that'll be interesting to watch i don't necessarily know if they can keep up this ranking especially as the ac season gets in gear here but i think uh they're ahead of schedule certainly in his second year here what do you make of clemson i mean brad brownell has been there for a while and i feel like we've sort of had these seasons where clemson is like oh they're on the cusp they're going to be really good and then don't quite get there is this a clemson team that can uh, get over that hump and, and be pretty good I, I think it is. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Brad Brownell as a couch, as a coach, excuse me, not a couch. Um, <laughs> but he, 
he's a guy who I don't think gets a lot of notoriety. He gets sort of a bad rap. And obviously being at a school like Clemson that, that succeeds in football the way that it does, that machinery um, coexisting with that is, is certainly not an easy thing to do. So I think the way that he conducts himself, the way he's handled himself, um, it just fits really nicely sort of when you consider the larger context of that school. He's all about grit. He's all about defense. He's all about grimy, dirty, like effort basketball, whichever coach says that they are, but he, he really is. And I think um, finally he has a team that sort of embodies that. And like you mentioned, he's had groups that are talented in the past, but I really think that at this point he has found a team that matches up really well with sort of his personality. And Amir Sims, let me also say this. Amir Sims is one of my favorite players in the ACC. I think that he is an NBA draft sleeper waiting to happen. He's, you know, six, eight and a half. He's able to shoot. He can rebound. He can handle. He's a decent passer. Um, I mean, the guy just does everything for them. He's He is the ultimate leader. He's a guy who uh, I don't think gets nearly enough love when you look across the conference, but Sims is one of my favorite players. And the fact that he hasn't had to be the alpha every single game, I think says a lot that, you know, maybe Clemson does have some staying power, especially if it keeps up the defensive intensities that it's shown, you know, a month and a half into the season. Basically, Clemson going to North Carolina on Saturday, uh, going into that game with a one game winning streak in Chapel Hill, which (laughs) doesn't sound like much, but compared to the 59 year losing streak or game losing streak that they had against UNC prior to that, pretty amazing. Uh, that Clemson has that Clemson is 15th in the first net rankings, the top team there uh, in the ACC. So I'll just ask you, who is the best team in the ACC right now? I think right now it's Clemson. And and I say that largely because I think that their defense is as elite as any unit that any team in the ACC has, you know, you can look at a team like uh, Virginia, obviously they're great defensively year in and year out. NC State has the potential with with the scores that they have to put up 90 points any given game. Obviously, Duke is Duke. They've got talent. Syracuse with the zone, they've, they've got shooters too. They can put up points. But Clemson's defense is as elite as, as any side of the ball is in the whole conference. I mean, when you talk about Sims, you look at the switchability that some of those guys have. Um, I'm looking right now, Clemson is ninth nationally in turnover percentage. They're they're turning opposing teams over almost a quarter of their possessions. Um, They're 35th in steal percentage. Uh, I I mean, just the the general defense that they play is good, but the fact that they are so pesky, they, and and they're not pesky in a way that like mid-major schools are where you don't have the elite athletes. They're pesky and they're athletic and they're high caliber. So um, right now, as crazy it is, I think Clemson's probably the best team in the league. I don't know if that continues. Um, I think that Virginia still has a chance to really come on strong by the end of the season. I find it hard to ever doubt Tony Bennett. It seems like anytime someone does that, it turns out badly. Um, but at the same time, it, it's hard to argue against what Brad Bradmel has got his group doing right now. And um, certainly for him, it's, it's great. It, it should buy him a little bit more time there. Um, you know, and if he can keep this going, you know, maybe, maybe Clemson's able to sort of uh, equalize a little bit between football and basketball. Before we go, just I wanted to ask you a larger national question. The NCAA sounds like they're going to do the tournament all in Indianapolis uh, this year. They have several locations they can do it in Assembly Hall in Bloomington. They can go up to uh, uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse at Butler as well. That sounds like sort of the perfect setup for this whole thing. If you're going to try to bubble it as much as you can and go to one place, I mean, Indianapolis 
certainly has the hotel space there with the the right. combine there all the time. They've hosted big events like this. Uh, what do you think of doing this all at one side? I mean, it, it kind of had to be done this year, right? It did, and and I think really you have to consider why the move is being made and it's not like it's not something that's been talked about but the end game for this season is not to just have as many regular season games as possible it's it's to have a tournament that tournament march madness accounts for 90 95 of the ncaa's revenue losing out on that last year and already having spent the reserve pool that the that the ncaa had accumulated over time not having an NCAA tournament this year would be disastrous to the future of the model of the NCAA, maybe even more so than whatever legislation is ultimately going to get passed um, in Congress regarding name, image, and likeness. But you had to have a tournament, and this move ensures that you're at least going to have a chance to do that. I think one of the big benefits of it is that not only are you going to be able to have geographic proximity, but you're going to be able to play these games a lot more closely than you would have otherwise. You don't have to worry about the travel. You don't have to worry about um, potential, you know, sort of sidewinding, you know, off to the side exposure. You're, you're trying to mitigate all of that. And I think that the tournament normally, it's like, you know, we drag this out. We play games twice a week. You're going to see a lot more condensed, compacted sort of schedule. And it's all for that end goal of just getting it all in because it's not really an option not to. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, Indiana is a great place to do it. Like, Doing it in Indy is fantastic. Like, I love the idea of playing NCAA tournament games in Hinkle. Like, um, I'm selfishly hoping that UNC or Duke ends up there, if they make the tournament, that is, um, so I can go and see some of the games. But, yeah, I, I think this is a move that the NCAA, NCAA ultimately had to make. Um, they couldn't have found a better forum to do it. Roy Williams, you know, and a number of other coaches on the teleconference this week expressed, you know, their sort of gratitude for this happening and for it happening in Indy. Um and ultimately, I, I think it's something that sort of had to be done. There are no other options. And as long as we get an NCAA tournament, fans are going to be happy. Teams are going to be happy. Players are going to be happy. Um, boosters are going to be happy. So it's sort of a win-win situation. There aren't really any downsides to making this move. Um, the only one would be you're, you're going to have some coaches who sort of call foul on fairness. But if this year has taught us anything, it's, it's that fairness doesn't really uh, – really, doesn't really factor into the picture where COVID-19 is concerned. Getting to the finish line is greater than fairness. That's the, we've learned that in the college football playoff <laughs> with Ohio State now in the title game. It's going to be true in March Madness as well. Brendan, this was fun. This was fun and informative. I feel like I learned a lot about college basketball already in this third podcast. Uh, so this is going to be fun doing this throughout the, the entire uh, winter with basketball. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll have you back next week. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I, uh, it's going to be a wild, weird season, so I'm glad that we have a chance to talk about it. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, you know, we'll pop up here and talk football uh, when football warrants being talked about, but this is going to be primarily a basketball show here in the winter. ACC fans love basketball, and we love talking about basketball. So thanks for everybody that listened uh, to this podcast, and especially thanks to everybody who listened throughout the fall. Uh, getting this podcast off the ground it helped us uh, tremendously when you went and rate and review us on apple spotify stitcher wherever you listen to your podcasts we enjoy those five star ratings we'll take four stars too but give us five stars we love the five stars that helps us out Uh, if you have not subscribed to the athletic do so right now you can listen to this podcast ad free on there i'm not exactly sure what our current best deal is right now but if you go to the athletic.com slash acc pod you'll always have our best thing there Uh, you can follow me 
on Twitter at AndyBitterVT. Follow Brendan at Brendan R. Marks. Uh, he's going to be uh, boots on the ground or covering all these games. I'm not sure if he's at these games in person or if he's just covering them remotely, but he's going to be covering them. So read all his stuff on The Athletic. Read my football coverage continuing through the offseason on that, in the, at The Athletic. And we'll be back next week to talk to you about some more basketball. Thank <music> you.